Uh, in a recent message, we talked about church discipline. And um, church discipline, I know, is a really fun topic that people love to deal with. But um, but part of the reason I wanted to, to, to deal with it is not only because it naturally comes up in 2 Corinthians as we're going through 2 Corinthians 2, um, but also to kind of defang some of the um, the 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 fears that we have of church discipline because the reality is um, while we think of church discipline usually in the extremes when you know some there's some horrendous sin and you know somebody is brought up before the whole church or whatever um, uh, that's very 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 rare in fact in the history of new life it's never happened. Um, the most of the time, church discipline happens uh, every week. As Christians who are the church, we are the called out ones, discipline themselves, but then hold each other accountable and help each other. As uh, the proverb says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So I want to take a little bit of time in this uh, devotion and the next to clarify a couple, to drill down in a couple of places that I had to, that I felt like I kind of had to fly over on uh, the, in, during the message. So today I want to talk specifically a little bit more about um, evaluating the seriousness of the sin to be confronted, that needs to be confronted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we can always trust you. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom as we uh, go into your word and try to understand your mind. It's your church, it's not ours. Um, in a real sense, the decisions that we make for uh, what is often called church discipline, they're not our decisions. We're seeking your wisdom to do your work in your way. And we don't want to, um, we don't want to, go short of what you would do, and neither do we want to go beyond what you would do, but we would be obedient to what you would do for for your glory, building your church. So give us wisdom to that, and through Christ I pray. Amen. The passage that we were looking at, just to read it again, in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of us. In verse 6, he says, the, the punishment by the majority is sufficient for that person. As a result, you should forgive and comfort him. Um, the situation in the church in Corinth, as I understand it, is you go back to the first letter that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where he confronts uh, a situation where there's a man who's uh, committing incest. Um and, and and Paul says you need to take it take them on. You need to take this seriously. Second um, Corinthians chapter uh, five, uh, verse one. Paul says um, you, you're you're tolerating this, and 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 you are. In verse two, he goes on uh, to say. And you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and removed from your congregation, the one who did this? Paul says, you shouldn't be tolerating this. You shouldn't be pat patting yourself on the back for saying, we're not a judgmental church. You know, we we try to make everybody feel safe here. Paul's saying, no, you're, you're not taking seriously what breaks the heart of God. You need to take some action. And so one of the principles that we have to discern 
when it comes to church discipline is um, is what 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 deserves what needs to be confronted and what needs to be released um, and just kind of overlooked. We said some of the basic principles of church discipline. The, the first one is sometimes the loving thing to do is to forbear. Um, Proverbs chapter nineteen verse eleven. A person's insight gives him patience. His virtue is to overlook an offense. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who's not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. One of the things that is different from, from discipline that happens in the church and discipline that happens in the world is mercy. If you, you notice how judgmental our world is today how people judge and they condemn. And when they don't tolerate, it is not with a sense of mercy, but it's merciless, right? And it's a condemnation of others. The Bible's clear. No, no, no. We always need to mix mercy and judgment because ultimately what we want is for this person to receive grace and redemption through Christ. That's the goal. But we, the, the, so at that point, we need to assess the seriousness of the problem. Is this a problem that can be um, overlooked? Is this a problem that just kind of um, can can let go, or does it need attention? Jude chapter one verse twenty two: Have mercy on those who waver; save others by snatching them from the fire. Uh, the old preacher said, "I thought I learned this when I was in high school. I remember." An old preacher saying, you have to determine whether something is a cold or cancer. If it's cold, you can let it go. If it's cancer, it needs surgery. If you treat a cold like cancer, you do surgery on the cold, then you, um, you make the matter worse. But if you, so you don't want to exaggerate the problem, but, but neither do you want to minimize the problem because if, if you have cancer and you treat it like a cold, say, okay, let's just treat the symptoms, then not only will it kill the person, spiritually, but it also can spread to affect others as well. Um, so um, before I get into some specifics on asking, so how do you determine what's cold or cancer? I want to talk about that specifically. Um, let's be clear. Uh, one of the mistakes that people often make, that one of the cliches that you hear Christians throw out sometimes is all sins are the same. I mean, how can we judge? Because, hey, there's no sin. One sin isn't any worse than another. And while it sounds benevolent, it's just not biblical. Now, it is true. I understand what people mean when they say that, because if they mean by that, that all sins are separate us from God. You know, it doesn't matter if it is a sin of blasphemy it does, or, or, or stealing a, a piece of candy from your, mother's, um, fr- from your mother's purse. Sin, one sin separates us from God. But so often what people imply when they say, hey, all sins are the same, they don't mean all sins are the same and are ugly. And they're so ugly that Jesus had to die on the cross to be able to pay the price for them. That's not what usually people mean. People usually mean, hey, all sins are the same. Let's not say that this person's sin is worse than this other sin. And again, you just don't find that in Scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, in, um, 
uh, you'll recall when Judas betrays Jesus. The description that Jesus has of Judas' sin, he says, Judas has committed the greater sin. Um, there's a parable that I just read this past week devotionally that that talks about um, when the master comes back, some will be beaten with a few blows, some will be beaten with many blows. Their, the, their sins have been different and therefore their punishment will be, uh, the severity is different because of the seriousness of the sin. Um, think about uh, what Jesus said about the sin of blasphemy. You know, Jesus said, hey, there are some sins that can be easily forgiven, but the sin of blasphemy cannot be forgiven. Now, what does that mean? I think that means the heart that is blasphemous, the heart that calls uh, unholy what is holy, that treats unholy uh, the, that which is sacred, is is can't be forgiven because it won't repent. But still, Jesus is clear there is a sin. There are some sins that are worse than others. First John chapter 5, verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So again, um, if, if, a, if, if somebody blasphemes the Holy Spirit and a, a child steals a, a, a dime from his mother's uh, purse, it really is not biblical to say, hey, all sins are the same. No, they're not. The one leads to death. The other leads to getting in trouble with your mom kind of thing. Okay, so let's just, when it's, it's one of those silly, clean, I hate to be too mean. It's one of those stupid things that Christians say <laughs> that um, that is that is just foolish. Okay, um, so how then? What? How do you determine cold and cancer when it comes to sins? Let me just give you a few things that I would think through. I think the first thing when we determine do we have to confront somebody and how do we confront somebody? The first question we have to ask is: Is this person a Christian or a non-Christian? It is true that we. We treat non-Christians, and Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you treat non-Christians differently from Christians because Christians have placed themselves under the authority of Jesus and his word. Non-Christians haven't. Christians have placed themselves under the authority of the church and the elders of that church. Now, we don't, we, we live in such independent times that people don't, kind of anti-authority times, people don't necessarily think in those terms. But when somebody becomes a Christian and they identify themselves with a local church body, they are putting themselves under the authority of God, under the authority of the leaders of that church. And therefore, they're not just violating a sin, they are violating the authority that God has placed um, in them, for them. So non-Christians, Christians, we respond to in different ways. Um, next question I would ask is about a sin. Is it divisive or not? Titus chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 um, says, uh, Avoid foolish 
controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. By the way, I think that what Titus there is referring to is people were arguing over things like the book of Enoch, which was an apocryphal book. It wasn't um, it wasn't inspired, but, but they're talking about the, there are genealogies in there and, 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 and controversial things. And, and Paul's saying, avoid those conversations. They're a waste of time. Listen to what he says next. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. The Bible is really clear that one of the things that must be confronted in the church is divisiveness. There are a whole bunch of sins. There are a whole bunch of offenses that people can commit that aren't going to cause grave danger to the church at large. Divisiveness splits churches, breaks the heart of God. God has delegated his authority to discipline in the church to the elders. Um, and so how does God discipline us? Sometimes he disciplines us by the godly authority in our lives. If, if you're a child, it's your parents in the church. You come, we come under the, the leadership of the elders. When we're involved in church discipline, we don't want to focus on the failure. We don't want to focus on the past. We want to focus on righteousness and peace. How, does, how can God redeem this person in this situation? Because that's the goal. Everybody messes up. Everybody falls. The Bible, if the Bible's filled with one story, it is the story of people who followed God who messed up and were disciplined. But it is always for peace and righteousness and holiness.